and welcome to Shady Grove Radio. I'm Dan Loggins. This is episode number 39 for February 10th, 2021. At the same time, I began to start getting some of the similar uh, symptoms. And so since she got a result that she had COVID, I thought, well, I better go get tested myself. Our doctor was very, very concerned about Bo. He started spiking a very high fever, almost 104. The doctor said, get to the hospital. That was the last time I saw him for 15 days. Mr. Smith, in a few minutes, your room is going to be filled with about 10 or 12 people. They have some serious conversation with you. He called me later that evening, and we had a very deep and very, very real conversation. The doctors had told him that he was not looking good. He needed to go ahead and tell me goodbye because he wasn't so sure that he would see me at home, but may see me in heaven. And it was the longest night that I had ever lived. Bo, did you think you were going to go on to heaven? Was this going to be, you know, the last stand for Bo Smith here? On the night that he was discharged from intensive care on January 7th, and a group from Shady Grove prayed for Bo earnestly on their knees. The voices you've been hearing are those of Bo and Nell Smith, part of our Shady Grove family. Nell had COVID before Christmas and and then began to recover. But Bo, on the other hand, didn't fare as well. At home, his condition began to decline. Then there was a sudden rush to the hospital. At first, he seemed to improve in the hospital, and Bo had a chance to pray with many of the hospital workers and share his faith in Christ. But then his health began to decline further. He was moved into the intensive care unit, and with no visitors allowed, within just a few days, Bo and Nell found themselves saying their goodbyes by phone, and Nell facing the prospect of continuing her life without her husband. Here's our conversation. Bo and Nell, are you guys there? Hi. Yes, we are. Hello, Dan. You guys have been through uh, a little bit of excitement over there. Tell me what's going on, Bo. Started around December the 10th, came home, and Nell was telling me that she was feeling none of the weather. And as she went on to explain some of the things, we actually thought that she was having a reaction to the flu. We soon found out that it was much more than that because she was tested for COVID two days later over in Chapel Hill. At the same time, I began to start getting some of the similar symptoms. Since she got a result that she had COVID, I thought, well, I better go get tested myself. We both began to feel worse, taking on more symptoms. So now we're looking about the 17th of December, running fever, having uh, body aches, dry cough, all the things that you hear about. Nell began to lose her sense of taste and smell. I did not have that. Where mine was mainly muscle 
uh, aches in my legs and just some very high temperature. And it was Nell's suggestion that we call our local doctor and get a feel for what she thought we had. Hey, Nell, let me ask you, When so you were the first one. What were you thinking when you got that positive test result back? Well, it was a surreal moment because I just felt like this can't be happening. I'm not sick. I can't have COVID. We don't know anybody that we've been around that had COVID. Of course, I started out with a headache, a dry cough. It progressively got worse. And when I got the positive test, it was still that almost state of denial. Even though Bo and I were cautious, we wore our masks, we washed hands, we were mindful of where we went. Somewhere along the way, we got exposed. Don't know where and probably would never be able to backtrack to find that out. I guess it doesn't matter at this point. It was a surreal moment. So it wasn't Um, like you were hanging out in a grocery store or you you were just doing the normal things to prevent it? Correct. Our doctor was very, very concerned about Bo because of his age. And this was the week just prior to the week leading into Christmas. He started spiking a very high fever, almost 104. And that started on a Tuesday, the week of Christmas, and went on through Christmas. Of course, we were in contact with our doctor that whole time. Let me ask yeah. this. You said he's, his, his temperature spiked to 104. Was that while he was at home? Yes, yes. This so, was the week leading up to Christmas. So you're taking so, his... You're taking his temperature, and you see that thing reading 104? It was 103.9, but close enough. <laughs> wow. Um, what, what did you think? So that went, on, that went on from Tuesday up until Saturday with that high fever. I didn't even know a thermometer would go up to 104. I've never seen that. I think they actually go up to 106.9, but I'm not sure on yeah, that. But. I wouldn't want to find out. No, no, and Bo was was pushing his limits on it. And we were checking his his oxygen level on the 26th, and it progressively declined throughout the afternoon and early evening. How soon after his high temperature did you get him to the hospital? Well, that Saturday when we were tracking his oxygen levels and they steadily were decreasing and and we were in contact with our doctor. The doctor said get to the hospital, uh, took and dropped him off at the emergency department. And that was the last time I saw him for 15 days. So, Bo, you went, did you walk into the hospital when she dropped you off? Yeah, I walked in and, uh, of course, there's a security guard there and, and he pointed me to the admissions desk. And, you know, if you've been around people at a hospital, especially admissions, they're pretty dry cut. They want you to fill out a form, uh, give them some information, tell them your situation. And that's kind of how it was. But at that moment, I said, you know, these people are behind a glass. They're seeing this all day. And I thanked them for what they did. And I said, let me just pray for you real quick. Like It was two of them. They kind of looked funny, looked at me kind of oddly, and they nodded. Yes, and I said, Lord, I just ask that you be with these ladies. I know they deal with very sick people every day. I pray that you will keep them healthy and that there will be a kind word to each person that comes in, and likewise they will receive them. They said, thank you, and then a nurse came and got me, took me to the back, and she says, we're going to see what's wrong with you. By the time Bo got admitted through the ER at 830, he had already gotten admitted and had a chest x-ray and the results by 10.30. 
So wow. in two hours' time, they were on top of what was going on with him and got him admitted very quickly, did the chest X-ray. And at that point, we were being told he'd be, be there one to two days which was good news, but that wasn't the story. Did he call you after he got in the hospital, let you know what was going on? Oh, most definitely, and I was calling the hospital as well to get the medical perspective. And so they did that chest X-ray and got you admitted. What did they do next, Bo? Well, they started an IV, took my temperature, and my temperature had broken. And then immediately they came back. I thought maybe an hour or two later would take before I get the X-ray results. They said, you have pneumonia. And then they began to monitor my oxygen, and they hooked me up to that of two liters. Automatically started feeling better. And then them talking about, hey, two days and you'll be going home. I'm thinking, oh, this is not so bad. So my symptoms had begun to go away. And so what what happened? If I mean, if you're going to go home in two days and you ended up staying, did you say 15 days? 17 days. 17, actually. Did you stay in that unit the whole time you were there? Oh, no. No. In his 17-day journey there, he was in six different rooms. Wow. And even though he felt, and I'm putting this in parentheses, he felt good, he looked good, he acted good, and that's what the doctors would tell me almost every day. It was his numbers and his and his test that showed contrary. He would improve and he would decline, and he would be moved from one one floor to another because of what his test results were showing. Not necessarily how he was looking or acting or feeling. What was the highest level of care that you were in during that time? At the worst point, I was in medical ICU, which was on January the 6th and the 7th. It took me a couple movements in, in rooms to get there because, as Nell said, I was in the lowest level of COVID care, but because of my demand for oxygen would increase, I would get very winded when I had any kind of movement as far as getting out of the bed to go to the restroom or sitting in a chair or anything. And I would not feel that bad, but they would say, oh, your numbers are dropping. So they moved me to an intermediate area and then a little bit later moved me back to one, kept saying, as soon as we get you down to this oxygen level, you'll probably be going home. By that time, my antibiotics, I'd gone through the whole gambit of having them. But on the fifth day, I began to have some funny taste in my mouth, almost a metallic taste. And I asked them, was there any way that they could take a a sample out of out of my mouth to see if there was something there. And they said, sure, we'll do it. I guess it was a day or two later they came back and they said, well, we now have the results of that. And we understand why you're having trouble maintaining your saturation count and requiring more oxygen because your test results come back that you now have MRSA in addition to COVID and d- double pneumonia. Wow, your medical file is getting thick now. And so even though I wasn't feeling that bad, my readings or requirements for oxygen kept increasing. Increasing to the point that in medical intensive care, Dan, that's when that was a, a very hard day for Bo and me, Bo in particular. The doctors were painting a very bleak picture for him. That's where I was headed with this. Bo, did you think you were going to uh, go on to heaven? Or was this going to be, you know, the last stand for Bo Smith here? Well, two things were very vivid to me, and I kept asking myself, you know, why am I here and why is it so long when I'm thinking I'm here, going to be here two days, now it's down to five, approaching ten. 
And God made it real clear to me, you're having doctors, you're having nurses, you're having physical therapists, you're having respiratory therapists, you're having someone come in and take out the trash, all these different people, and they are working a huge amount of hours. They're under a lot of stress. They're having to wear more protective clothing than they normally would. And this is difficult. And God says, every time somebody comes in here, I'm going to give you something to say to them, whether it be a prayer or whether you ask them a question or something. I'm like most people. When you meet a stranger, you may want to pray for them, but you don't know a specific thing. But it was amazing how God would give me a very specific thing to pray. Some of them would immediately acknowledge that was what they needed. Others would say, well, I just don't know where I'm in concerning my relationship with the Lord, but thank you for sharing. Every so often someone, I would just meet them and pray for them. They would leave the room and come back and say, you don't know how bad I needed to hear from God. That number ended up being over 50 people. Wow. But at the same time, when I really never felt so bad, yet they were telling me, all your indications are showing that, that you're going way down. God made it clear to me, I'm in control of here, and I may take you home, or I may, or I may let you go home. But I had a piece about it. But then he, when it got to the point that my nurse came in, my main nurse at that particular day, at a low level of, of care, says, Mr. Smith, in a few minutes your room is going to be filled with about 10 or 12 people, and they have some serious conversation with you. Five of them were doctors. They had, I think they call it the crash team. And the purpose of them is to transport you to the medical ICU, the highest level they have. And at this point, I was up to 40 liters of oxygen. So at that point, I was at the 40. These doctors came in and they said, we may, we're going to have to move you to a higher level because, Mr. Smith, you're not doing well. And I said, well, I want you to tell me exactly where I'm at. The doctor says, you have less than 50% of living. One of the doctors that spoke the most was head of the medical ICU. He says, so what else do we need to tell you? And I said, well, I don't know that you need to tell me anything other than this is a perfect time for a prayer meeting. So if you will allow me, I'll pray over the whole group. And I can't tell you everything God put on my heart to pray over every one of them. It was basically to let them acknowledge that the skills that they had, the training that they had, all came from God, that he anointed them with these special skills, and that at a time of need, that they would please go to him for further guidance in each case. Many of them acknowledged that, acknowledged the prayer. Some of them stayed silent. But from that point to the next day and a half, I have very little recollection of what took place. Well, Neil, did you did you think he might not come home? Well, the night of January 6th, got admitted to that room about four in the afternoon, and he called me later that evening. And we had a very deep and very, very real conversation that Bo told me that his, he wasn't looking good. The doctors had told him that he was not looking good and that he needed to go ahead and tell me goodbye because he wasn't so sure that he would see me at home, but may see me in heaven. Not being with him, not having seen him, not being able to be with him was extremely hard. And all I could think of was Bo was there by himself. We were saying goodbye, and it was the longest night that I had ever lived. Bo says he doesn't remember much about it. He says that during that 
roughly 28 hours that he was in um, medical intensive care, that he just had this spiritual euphoria, this peace. I don't know how to explain that, and I don't know that he can explain it other than it was the peace of God. It was when, when he told me goodbye that night, there was this peace for both of us even though it was hard, but we knew God was in control. We knew that God had been using Bo during this this awful crisis to minister, to witness, to spread God's word in that hospital. This wasn't about, you know, bringing glory to Bo. It was bringing glory to God, and that's how God is. He uses our our hard times and the things that we experience for His glory. And that's what he was doing. Just didn't know what the end result was at that point. Let me ask this question then. Why do you think God put you guys through this? Because he certainly could have stopped it, right? Yeah, I, I think, in fact, it's not a matter of thinking, I know. God had a group of people working at that hospital that was under so much stress that they needed to hear something from him. And all he wanted me was there was to be his mouthpiece at that time. I can't tell you what I prayed over different ones or the word that he gave me, but that's what they needed at that time. I know that I'm not responsible for the results there, but I saw immediate results. I know of two people that made a profession right in front of me. This is what I need, and I want to I want to accept this Jesus that you're talking about. That was the reason I was there. And when I compare it to what Christ has done for me and you, I went through very little. And it's worth it all. Very little compared to what what Christ had done for us. And he didn't end it there because after I left through the home care and the physical therapist and the conversation with the doctor that from the hospital that would call me a couple times a week, I was able to continue to share with them. And, and more than what every one of them would say, I need this. I appreciate this. You don't know how much that means to me. And so that's the reason I, I went through what I did, because of reaching those people for Christ. On the night that he was discharged from intensive care on January 7th, that was at 7 p.m., and a group from Shady Grove, there were four couples who met, I believe, over Zoom and prayed for both earnestly on their knees. And the time of that prayer time was 7 p.m. precisely. And we have said that God was in this, that God performed a miracle more than once, that Bo is a miracle more than once, and that we will shout this till the day we do go home, that God performs a miracle. an amazing story. It's a testimony of God's faithfulness. And even if that story had ended a different way, we could look back and see how God was in control the whole time. If you have an idea for Shady Grove Radio, if you'd like to make some comments about our show, please send me an email, dan at shadygroveradio.com. Dan at shadygroveradio.com. 
www.thepatchworkshop.com. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear your ideas about future programs. Send the email to dan at shadygroveradio.com. And that's all the time we have for right now. Join us next week for another edition of Shady Grove Radio. for joining us today on Shady Grove Radio. I'm Dan Loggins, and if you have any questions about anything you heard on Shady Grove Radio today, send me an email, dan at shadygroveradio.com. Dan at shadygroveradio.com.